Hi, I'm Melissa Withers, and this is Unfounded. In each episode, a guest and I tackle a topic about biz building and startup culture, but we do it by asking each other only three questions, one about the past, one about the present, and one about the future. The third question, the one about the future, that's the wild card. We have not shared this question with each other in advance. And that's it. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi, James. Thank you so much for being here today. And I'm so thrilled to have you as a guest on Unfounded. It's my pleasure. Topic today is controlling the narrative. Uh, and when it comes to talking about startups and storytelling and innovation and the powerful role that it plays in entrepreneurial culture, I couldn't think of anyone uh, that I wanted to have this conversation with more than you. Uh, and as you know, uh, we have three questions that we're gonna ask each other about stories and startups. One looks to the past, one speaks to the present, and the third leans into the future. And as you also know, we've given each other a sneak peek into the questions about the past and the present, but the third question, the one about the future, that's the wild card. And we have not shared that with each other in advance. Uh, No formal bios on the show, so for anyone watching or listening, you can read more about James in the show note. Uh, His amazing work as the former editor-in-chief of of Inc. Magazine as an author of a super fun book about gold and the gold standard. Um, And also now uh, his work as the publisher of Finn, where James goes bananas over all things fintech. Um, But instead of reading bios, I've asked James to pick three words to describe himself before we jump into the conversation. So James. Uh, Great. Um, It's funny. Uh, The the episodes that I listen to, um, people tend to go for adjectives. And for whatever reason, my mind goes to nouns. So my three words are nouns. Um, writer, which you know you kind of indicated. Um, motivator, which I tried to like make that about you know being a boss and a mentor, but also a father. Um, and empath. Um, I think a lot of the power that um, that I can bring to the the work that I do comes from really trying to figure out what makes people tick and what they're feeling and what they're going through. Um, uh, so those are my three words. Again, I'm not supposed to comment, but I'm going to. I remember uh, the first night I met you, I think I literally cornered you and blocked your egress. Uh, we were both judging a startup competition together and um, just to chat with you. And I remember thinking like, damn, that guy is funnier and a lot nicer than I expected a newsman to be. So <laughs> I, I know no one needs my affirmation on their three words, but I do think not only is uh, empathy an incredible tool when you are a storyteller, but you're genuinely kind of funny and and you kind of are empathetic. So. Yeah, good for you for not lying to the audience and making up words about yourself that weren't true. <laughs> <laughs> well done, sir. Well done. Um, all right, get in your time machine, James. Okay. I'm gonna take you, uh, to, I'm gonna take you into the past and ask you to look backwards for this question. Um, so stories need good characters uh, and good storytellers have to evaluate whether or not a character is gonna be strong enough, right? To carry the audience all the way through. You know, looking back, uh, what are some of the qualities and characteristics that were most likely to make you want to write a story about a founder? And then on the other side of that, do you still find the same qualities uh, equally compelling today? Yeah, it's such a great question. And to be honest, um, when you sent it to me, it, it got me thinking not only about stories about founders, although I want to talk about that too, but also patterns of narratives that seem to draw me in. But 
definitely, you know, at Inc., one of the things that, that always jazzed me the most, there, there, there are two, two qualities that are often closely related. One is that I, I'm a sucker for a great immigrant story. You know, I think this is uh, the, the American in me that, that gets really, really jazzed about the idea of someone coming to this country with nothing or next to nothing, um, facing tremendous obstacles um, and making something work on the basis of their own insights and their own intuitions. I literally just interviewed a guy last week um, who came here with his, his mother from Nigeria, settled in Minnesota, and his mother, you know, really wanted him to go to college, but they didn't have any money. And they went to the big bank in Minneapolis and they had no credit history, right? Because you're an immigrant, you don't have any, anything on the books. And so she had to fund his education through payday loans, paying 400% a year. So he's invented this app that allows people who rent to have their timely rental payments and, they, and his company manages the payments to the landlord. Oh, like feeds recorded. That, feeds that into credit bureaus so they can build yes. credit history through rental. By which paying actually, rent. Which was, wasn't even legally possible until a few years ago. So, so those kinds of stories, oh. I have to say, give me chills and I will never get tired of them. And then there's a sort of um, subset of that, uh, is overcoming adversity is just a great quality of a character. You know, the, the, the structuralist literary critics will tell you they're really only like six or seven stories, yeah. right? And one is beating the monster. And so the overcoming that uh, adversity, you know, facing bankruptcy in the, in the eyes and, and, you know, finding a way to make it work. I think those are, those are really great stories. But what your question also reminded me about the books that I've published. Not, it's not true for all of them, but it's true for a lot of them, um, is that I seem to be drawn to highly idealistic plans that don't work. Um, so my, <laughs> my, and, and, and kind of telling the story of how they fall apart. So uh, my first book was a history of public television, public, to some degree public radio, but mostly public television. And it, you know, it goes into these ideals that were laid out in 1967 when the Public Broadcasting Act was founded, you know, that it would be commercial free and that it would be highly educational and all that stuff. And we end up with, you know, Yanni Live. Um, as part of a PBS fundraiser, right? And uh, oh, on, on an all-day telethon. All-day telethon with Ted yeah. Nugent, you know, and 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 it's it's sort of the opposite of and and all of you know all of which is sort of indistinguishable at this point from from seventeen other cable channels. Um, sort of telling that story. The second the second one was about the magazine that where I worked called the Industry Standard, um, which you know in the year two thousand sold more ad pages than any magazine in the history of America, and eight months later was bankrupt, and kind of how that fell apart. So I, I seem to be drawn to these. You know, there there are certain kind of writers who want to um, you know kind of elevate and create heroes, and I seem to be drawn to a certain kind of um, messy details and antiheroes. Um, so that's my answer. Yeah, that's a good one. All right, James, your turn. Take okay. The test. So you as a uh, investor have looked at hundreds, maybe thousands of startups over the years. How important would you say that story is compared to, you know, all the other things, CEO leadership, the innovation of the idea, the business model, the funding, the team, uh, and, and, and then what do you do, assuming you do think it's important or we wouldn't be having this conversation, what do you do with an otherwise compelling company or founder when the story just isn't so sharp? Yeah, 
Uh, literally thousands. And I think uh, whether it's, and it's not just actually about attracting investors. The story is the skin that holds an early stage company together. Without it, you're just a bag of bones. Most of it's a story. Uh, and I think in some ways that's at the root of a lot of the inequity that we've had in startup culture is there are those who fit the molds of the stories that we like the best. And then there are those that get a lot of informal training on how to be confident, good storytellers. And then there are lots of entrepreneurs who have really good ideas, but for a variety of reasons, either have not yet been trained on how to tell the story that we like as investors or the story that others like. Um, I also think it's very important to building capacity, building organization. I mean, you've hired a lot of people in your day. They come to work with you because they like the story that you've told them about what working with you is going to be like. So I think story is probably more important than almost anything else, particularly when you think about the vast majority of companies are not reinventing the wheel. What they're doing is something interesting around value delivery, business model. And so the story really is the secret ingredient. It's the story that's going to determine if you attract the right things to you. And then there's also, of course, the market facing side of the story. How do you get the people that you want to sell to excited about what you do. I think um, I have noted in my career a lot of um, inequities in how stories get rewarded and how sometimes we get stuck in our own patterns. So you just talked about your patterns. There were a lot of patterns, I think, in startup gen one, where you, every story had to fit this pattern. I mean, there now there are downloadable templates on how to build your pitch. And I think that there's some good in that, but there was a lot of bias into that too, about what you're willing to say, how you're willing to say it, and how form performative you're willing to be in describing yourself as an entrepreneur. I think we're working our way back now to recognize that there's something in between um, a, a story that matches a template that a small group of people think is the right template and an authentic way for a, an entrepreneur to tell the story about their business, where it is, where it's going and why anyone should give two fucks about it. Um, I think um, I spent a lot of my time, uh, not only as a fund manager and investor, but in a lot of my advisory and mentorship roles, I find myself gravitating towards helping founders tell better stories at different stages of their journey. And these days I spend a lot of time working with first time founders, women and people of color, really trying to unlock for them more confidence in their ability to recognize the dynamic tension between aligning with the patterns to get what you want but finding an authentic comfort in how you tell your story so that you can continue to yield the rewards from that uh, downstream. If your story is totally made up and full of crap and you don't love it, I'm going to figure that out pretty fast. So I spend a lot of time um, going back and forth with founders about that speculative gap between where you are and where you're going and who you are and who you're becoming and why anyone should care and the importance of timing uh, and doing an incredible amount of hard work there. Uh, to me, it's the most joyful part of innovation and startups in general is actually the unwritten parts that you get to write when you can build a good story around an idea. Yeah, and that's, that's my excellent. answer. So, yeah. um, okay, back to today, we're gonna talk about the present. It's kind of similar to um, kind of where we were. So one of the most exciting, uh, but I also think challenging things about telling the stories of startups, entrepreneurship and innovation is that you're, you're often documenting and describing things that only partially exist, right? If they exist at all outside of a mental construct, right? Um, and I think that there's a line that the storyteller walks, both the founder and in, in the case of, of a professional storyteller like yourself, there's a line that you walk um, between um, the kind of what's tangible, what's actualized and what's by, I think, definition more ethereal. And I'm curious to, to hear a little bit about how you, how you have walked that line and how you try to think about positioning yourself, understanding that by definition, innovative entrepreneurial things are not all written in stone. It comes with the territory. So how do you yeah. navigate that? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, 
somewhere near the height of the dot-com boom, um, Michael Wolf said something to me that has always stuck with me that the, 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 the line between uh, you know, an, uh, an ambitious entrepreneur who believes in herself and fraud is a fairly thin line. Because yeah. um, you, you, know, you, you, you have to be able to sell people on the existence of a product or service that you know, may not yet exist and, um, and, 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 or may exist in a very, very raw and imperfect form and expect them to get in bed with you. And you know, I, I, I worked for a while at Sequoia Capital and, and this was really one of the most fascinating aspects of the job to me. Like when I am writing a story about a company or editing a story about a company, I know in my own mind what the yardsticks are or is this a successful company or not, right? Like how many yeah. people have they hired? Do they have patents? Um, are, are, are their revenues growing? Are they profitable? Um, all these things. Um, and I feel comfortable with those yardsticks. Watching the VCs at Sequoia, it's like, what do you do when it's two guys and an idea, right? Like not only do they not have revenues, they don't have a product. They haven't yeah. yet written, written yeah. a line of code. So it is yeah. literally just a dream that will be pursued by you know money and engineers basically, um, and 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 it really is. I mean, it's an almost religious experience in the sense that it takes a leap of faith to be able to see these things, and it's it's one reason why I think a we you know we revere entrepreneurs in this culture because they have the vision to see things that no one else sees, but also B, it can be very, very lonely because, because literally no one else can see what you're talking about yeah. some of the, some of the time. Um, and, and I, I think, you know, you, you ask, you know, how do you, how do you walk that line? I think, I think you just have to kind of close your eyes and walk it because um, that tension is never going to go away. If, if it were all in one direction, if everybody could see it, it wouldn't be interesting and people wouldn't invest in it. Um, yeah. But then if, you know, if, if on, on, the, on, the, on, the other, on the other extreme, if nobody can see it, um, then you won't get funding and you won't see the light of day. Um, so I, I think you just have to, um, you know, buy in as much as you can to the vision, um, but also try to stay tethered to reality. It's also one of the differences between you know, working for a VC firm and working in journalism, like as a journalist, it's it's a little bit of our job to tear these visions down, or at least you know throw things at them and see yeah. see what 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 might stick or blow up. Um, whereas when you work on the VC side, you're kind of you know more more um, beating the drum and, and trying to march in step, um, which is maybe one reason why um, I'm back in journalism. Could be, <laughs> could be. It's, uh, I'm not supposed to respond, but when I help founders try to navigate that on the other side, I sometimes describe it as uh, think about telling your story within the within the boundaries of your shadow. So you're in motion, oh. right? I know you're in motion. You're in motion every day. So think about you know where's your shadow? Like the sun's behind you. You can kind of see maybe maybe not the best the best sun with a shadow that stretches for as far as the eye can see, but think about your shadow and think about your story being in the being like a little bit beyond where you are, but in the shadow of, of where you're headed. And to kind of use that as your moral compass to keep you from becoming fraudulent. Right. Cause you sort right. of know when you're not in your shadow, I feel like, you know, if you're honest with yourself, you start to know. And so I sometimes use a shadow metaphor with founders when I try to, when I try to explain that. So, um, Okay, James, um, okay, hit me so up with your present. question about the present. You're, yeah. you're present. So you've embarked on this very interesting journey of creating a podcast, which I know is something that you've thought about for a, a long time. Um, and it itself is a form of storytelling. 
And I'm curious what you've learned about different storytelling techniques, different storytelling abilities, as well as how do you elicit the best stories from your interlocutors? Yeah, so uh, uh, I think this is for me, like a I've always been interested in storytelling. Um, I started uh, in biological sciences telling those stories because I sucked at actual science. Um, but I always loved the story of science and the narrative of science. And I understood that much more than I understood how to repeatedly measure uh, chemicals over and over again um, into tiny little test tubes. So um, I think I really, really believe that story is one of the most powerful tools that humans have to build things, like not just to share information and share knowledge, but I think we build things um, you know, through story as well. So uh, for me, a lot of the opportunity to put together finally a, a, a storytelling platform of my own was a little bit to put my money where my mouth is. I've for many years been telling companies to get better at telling your story. And I've been telling um, my own stories pretty, pretty shittily. Um, it was very self-serving also to get to spend time with my friends who I think are way smarter than me and engage them in conversations about topics that I think are really important. Um, and I do think we're living at a time when storytelling is changing. I think some of the old frameworks and some of the limitations of storytelling um, are are fast eroding. There are new voices. We're welcoming, I think, new voices into, into our storytelling space, finally. Uh, and I do think that even who gets to tell a story, uh, whose story is validated, how our story is validated, is really changing. And I think startup culture in particular is really ready to change. There's been a lot of social proof and social validation and dependency on those things to validate the stories of entrepreneurs. And in many cases and for many years, it was used to exclude a lot of people from entry. Uh, if not explicitly by denying them entry, uh, it then implicitly by making them feel very unwelcomed and unwanted and unrepresented. And so I think we are also living at a time when we're trying to strike a balance between letting people have personal truths and personal experiences. But I'm still an empiricist. I believe in science. And I I think there are facts. Like I think there are actually facts. Um, I think facts are complicated, and I think particularly with, start, with startups, yeah, it's muddy and it's murky. But there's still things. There's still there is a difference between dreaming and fraud. And I believe that it's not that hard to figure it out if you just decide that you want to. So I'm also excited to think about the next generation of storytelling and how are how are how are the old farts going to get out of the way not to, you know, to really let the mode change, right? Not just give permission to other people to tell their stories in the ways that we like, but actually start to make space for a new generation of entrepreneurs to tell stories in different ways that we might not like, that just might not match any of our patterns and we might not even enjoy them and may not want to consume them. And I think you have to almost open yourself up to this idea that you have an expiration date um, and that if you want to stay fresh in the fridge, then you better be fresh in the fridge. So it's a little bit of everything, uh, I think, that I think about in the context of startup storytelling and the role that I want to play for the next decade of my career in, in pursuing justice and equity for people who have been excluded, but also doing shit that I love and getting paid to do it and building things that I'm proud of. So I think story, again, it's sort of that's, there's no, I'm never going to do any of those things uh, without having a good story. So this was... Yeah. Um, this was my uh, tricycle um, training wheel run. So there you go. Excellent. Um, all right, James, time for another time jump. Doo, 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 doo. We are off to the future. Um, last question. Um, so again, uh, it's like we did share this one in advance given um, how much we've covered to date, but we did not. So as a storyteller, you, you've even self uh, selected yourself into this mode, but um, archetypes are really powerful. And I think the adoration of archetypes was a huge part of startup 
uh, culture. I think it still is, but it really, really was, uh, I think, looking backwards. And there were a few roles, and you needed to play one of those roles if you wanted to make the news or get the right people to support your company. It was like being in a play at school, and there were only four good parts, and the rest was you're in the Greek chorus. And um, I've often wondered if we were writing the characters or if the characters were writing us, right? It, that's how it started to feel towards, particularly towards the end of my experience as an equity investor. And I think the obsession with archetypes created a lot of self-serving content uh, uh, with commiserating partners uh, you know, who had vehicles for disseminating that information. Um, and it really did reinforce a racist, sexist culture uh, in technology for a very long time. A lot of really bad behavior, like fraud, <laughs> for example, right? Um, and some of it truly criminal. Um, so given all that, uh, and as, as you sort of now are at a place in your career where you can look forwards and backwards, what advice or warnings would you give to the next generation of storytellers in hopes that we just don't make the same mistakes again? Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, uh, I haven't been in touch with him in a few years, but an old friend of mine, Sam Sifton, who now runs the food stuff at the New York Times, published this book during the dot-com boom called The uh, Field Guide to the Yeti, the Young Entrepreneurial Technology uh, Individual. And it was literally, it was like the preppy handbook for startups. Awesome. And it had the different archetypes, right? There was yeah. like- like The hacker, I would the be, hustler, I, yeah. The, the, well, yeah, I would be like the, 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 the crossover geezer. Um, there's the PR bunny. <laughs> There's the, you know, the, the VC, the tech, the, the, the programming nerd and all that stuff. Um, and, and, you know, it was funny, but it was funny because it was ridiculously because, true. Yeah, it's true uh, right? And, 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 and it was, it, it was a wonderful, wonderful parody of that time. Um, I, I, I think my advice would simply be, you know, don't be afraid to forge some new archetypes. I mean, inevitably, because of, uh, of, of the way that funding works and because of the way the press works, you will always be uh, straightjacketed to some degree into existing archetypes. But I think there is a hunger out there for, for new characters, for, you know, stories we haven't heard so much about, you know, I was, you know, the, like I, I said at the earlier part of this podcast, you know, just, just another, you know, 25 year old Nigerian fintech executive um, is kind of right. a great, yeah. kind of a great story. Like we don't know that story really. Yeah. I mean, not, not, not too well, certainly not, not overly familiar. Um, and, 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 you know, fi find a way to reinvent the the things that are good about those characters and weed out the things that were less good and less inclusive as you as you indicated i think that would be my advice yeah i concur all right Frank, all right my future question tomorrow. for you is yes. what's your story you've you've, story? You've, you've cashed it all in and moved to the beach what is next for melissa <laughs> yeah well so i still have a day job and it's to run my fund um you know, one of the exciting things about living in this moment is I'm old enough to know what I know and to feel good about what I do and to know where and know where to put the asterisks and the caveats and be like, I don't actually know about that. Like, I don't win anymore by pretending to be someone that I'm not. And I've shed a lot of my imposter syndrome from the earlier phases of my career, many of which was inspired by the bias and startup storytelling that made me feel like I didn't fit one of those roles. So I probably didn't belong. I'm kind of on the other side of that now. You know, I think as for me and what I do in my day job with my fund is I'm really interested in innovating the capital toolkit. And because I believe that your story is a major driver of how you get capitalized and why you get capitalized, not even because you win people over, but it's the story you tell yourself about what you need to build and what resources you need to get there. It's all 
and storytelling, right? I think when I think about moving forward, one of the liberating and also terrifying things about where I feel like I am today in my career is the half-life of a business model is really shrinking. And so all this good work that we did on RevUp V1, V2, V3, you just don't get to sit with it for very long before there's tremendous pressure to do something different. And there's all kinds of new revenue funders in the market and, you know, like bake-offs on who has the cheapest capital. And you really do, it goes back to what's your fucking story, man? Like, and so for me, I'm like living my own dream slash nightmare where as I think about the next thing and the next fund, I have to go through that narrative reinvention process where I live inside my shadow, but I tell the story about where we're going uh, and, and why, the, and there'll be risk associated with that, right? And why that, but why that risk is going to be worth the reward. So I think my story right now is a lot about not getting lazy in, in just being like claiming victory and being like, oh, you broke through. You finally feel good about yourself. Yay. Like, oh, you're telling the story of women entrepreneurs. You're a hero. And really see that it's like, that's the tiny pinhole that I finally feel like got pricked. The, the win is on the other side of the pinhole. I don't want to get stuck behind the pinhole, uh, either with my fund, with, with the things that I want to do with my partners around revenue-based funding and other kinds of funding for early stage companies, but also around this idea of storytelling and not just making it making it easier for new founders to tell stories the way we like to hear them, but making it possible for them to tell stories that maybe we don't even want to hear, but making sure that there's opportunities at least for people to hear those stories and form their own reactions to them. So I think my story is a lot more as coming back to a lot more about story, 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 story. I'm like a broken record. That's um, nice story, bro. Yeah, that's <laughs> brah. <laughs> well, that's it. We've come, we've circumnavigated the world in only three questions. Uh, and it was, as I fully expected, uh, profoundly enjoyable. Um, I always love talking with you. So um, thank you. And I can't wait to see you again in person and tell and hear your stories in person and spend time with you because you are super fun to hang out with. It will be great. It will be great. All right. Okay. Thank Take you. care.